As we come to this third week of Lent in our worship series of Living on Purpose, today we are talking about what it means to worship on purpose. Our gospel reading comes from the second chapter of John, verses 13 through 22. Will you please stand as you are able? The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins and the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? but he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Has anything ever become so routine that you go through the motions on autopilot without even paying attention to what you're doing or thinking about how you're doing it, or maybe even without questioning why you're doing it, if it's necessary or helpful or good. For example, I can't tell you how many times I've pulled out of my driveway, gone halfway down the block, and had to turn around and go home just to make sure I've remembered to close the garage door. And when my kids were little, and they were starting to learn how to dress themselves, I had to teach them how to tie their shoes. Well, I do that every day, and yet I had to stop and actually think about what I did to tie my shoes in order to teach them how to tie their shoes. You know, every once in a while, something happens, though, that interrupts what is familiar and routine. And it may help us to reclaim our focus, remembering how we do something or why, kind of like the shoe tying example. And sometimes, though, those events kind of turn our world upside down. They help us gain a completely new perspective, and they set our life on a new course. Sometimes these events are joyful, a new job, a wedding, the blessing of a baby. But sometimes they can come as a difficult diagnosis, the unexpected loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, or even a pandemic. The events of this past year have certainly served as that kind of experience for us, haven't they? It's disrupted all of our familiar routines and forced us to learn new habits and ways of being, bringing change to almost every aspect of our lives. This pandemic revealed for us things that we've taken for granted. The ability to gather in groups at school and church, our health, and simple everyday processes like going to the grocery store. It made us aware of things that needed fixing, selfish tendencies, racial injustices, 
our unfamiliarity or fear of technology, and our general lack of care for those who can't often be physically present. But this time has also given us an opportunity to reset, and it's led us to some very new and unexpected blessings. Think how many of us have now learned what it means to Zoom and use other technologies that have helped people connect for work and school, healthcare, and church. It's also helped us really pay attention and appreciate the significance and value of certain relationships, those people that we long to be with. Those of us that had overcommitted and overbusy schedules have probably been a little thankful for some time to step back and reevaluate our priorities and reestablish where we really want to invest our time and energy. It's given others the opportunity to learn new skills or do that thing that they'd been putting off forever. And here at church, it's created the conditions that have helped Sun Creek develop a quality online worship service that allows us to reach new people in new places at any time of the day or week. Our scripture reading for today is about one such event. It was an event in the life of the people that were worshiping in the temple that day that disrupted all their expectations and patterns. And if we let it work in us, it invites us to also consider what it means to worship on purpose as we follow Jesus, because our own patterns of faith and discipleship are disrupted. Like the bystanders present during this encounter with Jesus as he overturned those tables in the temple, we may feel ourselves feeling a little anxious, angry, indignant, fearful, embarrassed, or maybe even confused. This story occurs in John's Gospel early as Jesus is beginning his ministry. He has been baptized by John in the Jordan. He has called his first disciples, and he's already performed his first miracle. Our text tells us, though, that the Passover is near. And so Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem to worship in the temple, as would have been his custom, as he would have done every year of his life for this very important festival. Jesus enters the outer courts and he finds them packed with livestock and moneylenders. Crowds of locals and out-of-towners have come for the Passover festival and people are clustered together talking and laughing with friends they haven't seen in a long time while hymns and chants echo in the background. I imagine the smells of animal sweat and dung mixed with the permeating odor of burning sacrifices while the sounds of cattle lowing, sheep bleeding, and doves squawking, not to mention coins plinking onto tables, all makes for a raucous commotion. Can you imagine the chaos and distractions? Hardly a worshipful environment, right? And that's exactly Jesus' point. But we have to acknowledge that this was a practice that had evolved over the years out of necessity and convenience. Those people who traveled a long way couldn't bring their sacrifices with them, and they needed unblemished animals, and they needed to change their coins to pay the required temple tax. So it's not like this is the first time this has happened. And yet, Jesus is incensed. So much so that he finds a scrap of cord, he fashions it into a whip, and drives out the animal and people while chastising them, for turning his father's house into a marketplace. Those standing there and watching, and maybe some of the sellers, and maybe even some of the disciples, what sign can you show us to justify your authority? 
This question gets us to the heart of John's gospel. John wants his audience to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God who has come to give us life. We hear that from the very first words of this book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. At his baptism, we hear the messianic phrase proclaimed over Jesus, Here is the Lamb of God. And Jesus' divinity is revealed again through the miracle at Cana as he churns the water into wine. Here we are in our story today. It's just the second chapter of this gospel. And we hear Jesus referring to the temple as my father's house. You see, he's again staking his acclaim to his authority to speak and act as he does because of his relationship with God. Like many of the prophets who came before him, Jesus challenges the temple system that had become more preoccupied with ritual sacrifice and maintaining the institution than with wholehearted worship of God. So one study book asks this question. If Jesus were to come into our hearts, our homes, our church today, what would he seek to clear out of the way? Considering the chaos of the temple courts, we might reword that question to say, what distractions keep us from our true purpose of loving and serving God? Is it the excuses we have for not coming to church each week? I'm too busy. I don't like the music. I don't like the preacher. The pews are uncomfortable. Or maybe it's our views about worship. I'm unlovable and I've got too many problems in my life and everyone over at the church has it all together. I'd never fit in. I don't belong. If I come to worship and am more faithful, maybe God will love me more. Worship is only something I do one hour on Sundays. Or maybe Jesus challenges our disordered priorities to place other things above our love for God. I'd rather sleep in or spend the weekend at the lake. My son has a soccer game. And maybe Jesus really wants to confront the stuff we'd rather leave hidden. The stuff we've become complacent about that we don't want to acknowledge or face up to. Our own sin and unholiness. As one of my pastors has said, and I think many pastors have said, God loves you just as you are, but God loves us too much to leave us as we are. This season of Lent gives us the opportunity to practice clearing away the clutter by reordering our values, reorienting our hearts, confessing our sins, and fasting from the things that interfere with our relationship with God and devotion to Christ so that we can worship with greater purpose. Here with our new online worship services, it's easier than ever to worship at any time from anywhere. If you can't be in person on Sunday morning, schedule another time with your family to sit and worship with us later in the day or week. But let's be real. It doesn't feel so good to be confronted with this, does it? Jesus makes us anxious and uncomfortable when we're the ones having our hearts and lives overturned. We resist God's claim upon us because we want to cling to our own power. We want to remain in control of our lives. And we resist change because we've grown comfortable with the way we are and the way the world is. 
The transformation Christ desires for us is costly. We're being asked to give up things we hold close, things that we like, things that make us comfortable, and that's hard. We may find ourselves standing with those gathered in the temple courts that day saying, Who are you? Why are you doing this? By what authority are you acting? And if we find ourselves in that place, can we hear Jesus speaking to us, reminding us of who he is, the Son of God, the Beloved? Although Jews, like Christians, believe that God can be encountered in personal prayer wherever an individual may be, the Jews of Jesus' time believed that they encountered God in a potent and more direct way in the temple because it was God's house, the place where God physically resided on earth. But in our text, Jesus enigmatically says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Do you see what he did? The traditional notion of the temple building as the primary locus of God's presence on earth is merged with the person of Jesus, the one in whom God has become fully incarnate. And Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days, pointing to his own death and resurrection. We worship a God who has taken up residence among us a God who has shared our human flesh and bud and who voluntarily gave his life for our sake because of his great love for us. We worship a God who has the power to triumph over death and destruction and to bring us new life. We worship a God who, yes, leads us to the cross, but we worship a God who leads us beyond the cross. So as we journey with Jesus towards the cross this Lenten season, we are invited to worship God on purpose. Worship is essential to our identity as the people of God. It's the primary way in which we respond to this gift of relationship with God and the promise that we have been offered through Jesus Christ. And worship is a means of grace through which the Holy Spirit works in us to make us more like Jesus. John Cassian, one of the desert fathers of the early church, said, The goal of the monk is pure love of God. I love that. Pure love of God. In other words, worship is an orientation, an attitude of reverence and devotion, honor, esteem, and extravagant respect for God in all things. Putting God first. Pastor and theologian John Piper put it this way, Worship is an inward feeling and an outward action that reflects the worth of God. Did you hear that? Worship is an inward feeling and an outward action that reflects the worth of God. When we worship on purpose, we bring our offerings and sacrifices in recognition that all that we are and all that we have comes from God. And when we truly worship on purpose, we worship not just for one hour on Sunday each week, but every day with our whole selves, body, soul, and mind. We put God first and take time for daily study, prayer, confession, and devotion. And we seek to witness and serve Christ everywhere we go and in all that we do. 
And although we may no longer need the temple building, we do need the church because it is the ongoing temple of God and the body of Christ in the world today. It is through the church that we experience God's presence here and now. Therefore, when we worship on purpose, we seek to be continually formed by Christ and the community of faith who shares our heritage and values and practices, reminds us to put God first, and who retells the stories of God's past faithfulness and mercy so that we can encounter and recognize God's presence and action in our lives today. When we worship on purpose, we experience the deep joy and blessing that comes from sharing relationship and intimacy with the God who loves us and with the God who created us for his own delight and joy. Did you ever think about that? That when we worship God, he takes delight and joy in us. And we get to share in that joy with him. And when we worship on purpose, we are mindful of that great sacrifice that has been made on our behalf. The beloved son who has given his own life for our sakes so that we might know how much God loves us and so that we might share in his divine life. And so it is with joyful praise and thanksgiving and with overflowing hearts, we worship now and at the communion table and as we love and serve in Christ's name in the week ahead. Let us be a people who worship God on purpose. Amen.